Hi there, I'm Sue Alves from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 180. And today I am having another conversation with my young adult unschooled daughter, Imogen. So welcome to my podcast, Imogen. Thank you for having me back so quickly. Oh, I think we got some good feedback. We had some nice comments. People said that they enjoyed listening um, to what we had to say. So here we are again, sitting in my walk-in robe amongst all of the clothes <laughs> where their sound quality is good. And we have a number of things that we want to talk about today. We've done a little bit of planning, haven't we? Just a little bit. Yes, my notes are rather a mess, so I hope <laughs> that um, I can work it all out. But we'll be talking about writing, music, play, play for kids and also play for adults, books, movies. We've got a few stories to tell you, including a ghost story. And along the way, we'll be sharing lots of unschooling thoughts and ideas. So how does that sound, Imogen? That sounds like it's going to be rather a good episode to me. Well, we're going to enjoy the conversation, <laughs> aren't we? So before we start, I will say that I'm going to divide this podcast into chapters. So at various points, you'll be able to look down at your phone and see some images. I'm going to put in some pictures of things that are relevant to each section including Imogen, the book cover of Frost Hands. I will start with your exciting news. Do you want to tell everybody what happened midweek? Oh, yes. The print copies of Frost Hands finally arrived, which I'm super excited about. Publishing a book on Amazon, you it's very difficult if you live in Australia. Nothing's set up for you to be an Australian author because you can't get proof copies and so you can't buy anything until it's actually out. And then once it is out, you have to wait for the shipping and that takes forever. So I've been sitting waiting for nearly a month for these copies to arrive and they finally got here. So you, this was the first time that you'd seen your own book in print. I know, it's not fair. Other people got to see it before I did. <laughs> Yes, I had the same problem when I was publishing my unschooling books on Amazon. But I had a kind friend that uh, looked at the books for... That's not quite right. She didn't look at the books for me. She got the books at her address and then she posted them on to me, the, the uh, proof copies. So I was able to have a look at the print copies before hitting the publish button. And that really helped. But you... You just assumed it would be all right, Imogen. <laughs> well, it's the third book of my own that I've done, and I did two of yours. So at this point, I've got a little bit of experience in making sure that the formatting and everything looks right. So I was fairly confident that it was good, but you never know until you've looked at it to be sure whether you've missed something terrible or not. And were you pleased? I was very pleased. It turned out so much better than I could have hoped for. The cover looks amazing, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Charlotte did an amazing job. So you've got a little story about the dedication to that book to share with everybody. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so when I was dedicating the book, I decided that I was going to dedicate it to the writing community I'm most connected with, which is the Sydney NaNoWriMo um, group, which I've been a very active part of for two or three years. And 
they're a group that I interact with year-round. I'm very good friends with a lot of them. And so I decided, well, they help me when I'm writing. I'm going to dedicate a book to them. And so I've been sitting here ever since it's been published, wondering if any of them are going to get a copy. And if so, would they notice that it was dedicated to them? And this week, one of my friends actually did buy a copy and they came onto our chat group. It was like, hey, guys, do you realise that Imogen has dedicated this book to us? And people were like, no, did she? We didn't know. And I was just sitting there going, well, if you, if you think that's going to blow your mind, wait till you get to the acknowledgements. <laughs> yes, it's lovely having the opportunity to dedicate a book to somebody, isn't it? It is. Especially people who have encouraged you. And uh, talking of NaNoWriMo Sydney Group, obviously you found them a great help and encouragement as a great source of friendship with like-minded people. Yeah? Oh, Yes. And do you think that makes a difference, that when you are connected in with such a group, uh, you are encouraged to complete things, you get the help you need, and the friendship of people who understand what you're doing? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I think everything is much easier, especially like low motivation days, or if you get stuck on something, I can just go online, I can talk to people, or even just be around people who are interested and doing the same things. And the amount of difference that makes is enormous. So whether you're unschooling or writing a novel, it is a good idea to hunt around for a support group. Yeah, to have some sort of community around you so that you're not doing this all by yourself. Now, you belong to the NaNoWriMo Sydney group because that's the closest one to us because we don't have a local one. But there are other NaNoWriMo groups, aren't there? Oh, yes. So NaNoWriMo um, have groups for most areas around the world. So it's um, they're divided up mainly by like major cities or major areas. So it's like a Sydney nano group. There's a Melbourne one. There's a Brisbane one. There are regional ones. Um, so you can usually connect in with a group of writers that are somewhat in the same geographic location as you. I mean, we're not quite Sydney, but it, we're close enough that a, we can get to Sydney if we wanted to see any face-to-face events, which aren't happening this year. But um, you have done that in the past, haven't you? Oh, yes. You... Last, last year was excellent for that. <laughs> and, yeah, just so you have people nearby that you could connect in with and make some friendships offline as well. But your group doesn't just have people from Australia in it, do they? Does no. It... Um, so we've got we've got quite a few people who aren't from our area, aren't from our region, aren't even from our country sometimes. We've got some good friends from places like I've got a friend from Germany. I've got a few from America. I think we've got a couple of people from England. Yeah, we've just got a, a, a scattering of people from around the world. People like our, our group. We're very active and we're very friendly and people... People reckon we're the best region. Right, so <laughs> they have um, decided to join a, a group out of region because you're so fantastic at, at um, encouraging and you're very friendly, is that right? And you're active. I think that makes a difference. To belong to an active group, you don't want to keep on logging in and finding out nothing's going on, do you? Oh, yeah. Whereas with our group, there's always someone on. Someone's always been on. There are new messages anytime you log in. It's great. Okay, Imogen, what's the date today? The 27th of October. So how many days until NaNoWriMo's stats? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're scaring me now. It's four days. <laughs> so you're all prepared to write another novel during November? 
surprisingly, I am actually prepared. I finished writing my outline on the weekend, so I think I'm good. So if anybody wants to write a novel, um, obviously a good way to do it is to do it through NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, 50,000 words in a month, the month of November. But just say, Imogen, that somebody has been thinking about it or maybe they've heard about this for the very first time and it's three or four days away. Uh, is it too late? No. Actually, the very first time I ever did NaNoWriMo, I think I joined with Three Days to Spare. And I still won my first year. So if I can do that with no preparation, I think most people can. Well, I wrote a novel one year, uh, NaNoWriMo. All I had was six names on a piece of paper. It was a family, six children, a mother and a father. So that's eight names. And no idea of the plot, no idea of anything. And I got writing. Oh, it was so much fun because I didn't have any preconceived ideas. I just went with it. And it's amazing how once you get started, ideas come, don't they? Yeah, and your brain's surprisingly good at putting together a cohesive storyline. So you're just writing and you don't think about it. And all of a sudden there is a novel on the page. Yeah, so I haven't actually edited that novel. That's one of the things that I would really love to do. But there are bits of it, Imogen, that I wonder where they came from because I'm really happy with them. I don't, you know, you have that idea, you feeling sometimes? Yes, you, re- you read back something and go, wow, that's actually really good. Did I actually write that? <laughs> yes, uh, I don't know where the ideas come from. But once you get into the flow, uh, it gets easier to write. It's just starting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, talking about writing, Imogen, I've got to give some feedback on my Angels book. Do you remember? Yes, you promised us all updates and I'm ready to hear them. Yes, well, the pressure the pressure is on. And yes, I've been working on it. I've done quite a bit in the last two weeks, so I'm really pleased. I got the first chapter written. I think I might have told you that. But I want to, want to go back and change some of it now. And that's always happens, doesn't it? You feel satisfied and then you think, no, 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 I want to change this bit, all that bit. I want it to be more exciting. But I've written an extra two stories and I'm partway through the stories that I wrote for NaNoWriMo all those years ago. And yes, I'm feeling really excited as I'm reading those old stories and getting reacquainted with my family and the adventures that they're having. So I'm working well on that, Imogen. I'm going to finish it. I believe in you. You're definitely going to do it. Okay, I've got a question for you now. You said that you were going to uh, do some work on your music, write some plans, get your music videos going again, get your channel going on YouTube. So did you do anything? I have, yes. Probably not as much progress as you've made on your book, but I have been working on the instrumental part for one song. I've been transcribing the music for another one. I'm in the middle of working out some um, supporting vocal parts. I like to write some extra vocal parts whenever I do a song because it gives it my own twist rather than just doing the the one um, line that's already written for the song. So I'm making progress on two different pieces and I sat down and I wrote a list of about 12 or 15 others that I could, could possibly do in the future as well. So Definitely made some progress there. Okay. What are the songs? So the two songs that I'm looking at doing at the moment is Titanium and What About Us? Now, I know What About Us because um, that was on The Masked Singer, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Was it more than once that we heard that? 
No, I think it was just the once, but yeah, it's a it's a song that I've really liked. I've heard a few good versions of it, and I'd like to give it a go myself. Okay, which uh, must singer sang it? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> you can't remember? I'm struggling to remember that one. It might have been the seahorse. Okay, now here's a question for you. Are you going to sing this song in a costume and have a mask? <laughs> I mean, half of me wants to say yes and half of me goes, that would be horrible to sing in. Okay, but what if you were going to have a mask or a costume? Well, what character would you like to be? To be honest, out of the costumes I've seen on Masked Singer, not that I think it would suit me, but I've always I've always liked the ones like the dragonfly or the butterfly. It's a bit skin tight. I don't think anyone needs to see that much of me. But the actual design has have always been so beautiful. Gotta have, got have good legs, don't you? <laughs> you do. I think I'd have to lose a fair bit of weight. Oh, it's so much fun, isn't it? Just thinking about that. Yeah, I could probably pull off the sloth costume. I've got the shape for that. How <laughs> about a monster? <laughs> I could do the monster. You don't even have to move. <laughs> you just you just wiggle your little hands and that's it. Yeah, some of those costumes uh, were better for performing in than others, weren't there? Some of the, the uh, singers were able to actually dance or to have some emotion through their bodies and some just stood there like potatoes. <laughs> yes, anyone who could get real emotion out of a round mos- monster costume where you can only wiggle your fingers, you know they're doing a really good job. <laughs> That was the runner-up, wasn't it, in the Australian series, or one of them? Yes, yeah, it was. She did went all the way just by wriggling her, wiggling her fingers <laughs> <laughs> and having a fantastic singing voice. That's the most important thing, isn't oh, it? Oh, yes. Okay, back to your music, though. You're not going to do it in a costume, right? Uh, and you're going to have extra music uh, backing tracks, yes? Yes. Extra vocals. And what about the instruments? So the instruments, um, I'm not playing those, which I, I can play piano, but I do those ones on the computer, mostly because it gives me a lot more flexibility in what I can do. Like I can, I can use a lot of different instrument sounds and also because it takes less time and it still sounds as good as if I did it myself. So I've been working with a few new programs this time compared to what I've done in the past, which has been very interesting. Lots of playing around with programs and music and figuring everything out. So it's, that's been a lot of fun. So all your other music videos, the ones right up until now, you did the piano pieces yourself, yeah? Not all of them. For most of them I did. For some of the later ones, I was starting to do more electronics or doing a mixture. But for most of them, I was definitely doing piano myself. Because we've got uh, a normal, what sort of piano is the normal piano? What's the name for it? Is it? We've got um, an acoustic piano, so the, the whole strings and keyboard. We've got the upright for that. And then we also have an electric piano, not like a keyboard, but a proper a, a good quality electric piano. And obviously when you're playing, the acoustic piano gives the best sound, doesn't it? Yes, but it's also the most complicated to record, which is sort of one of those things that you've got to toss up with, whether you want to go for you know, the best the best sound you can possibly get or whether for the ease of recording or what. So Because we tried recording the acoustic piano, didn't we? Yes, and we just don't have the right rooms for it, I think. The, you need a lot more sound deadening to make it any good. So you, you used to plug your 
um, computer into the electric piano and p- record yourself playing, yeah? Yes, that's right. And now you're not going to be doing that for the future music videos. You've found a better way of doing it. Yes, well, at least a less complicated, faster way, which considering how fast this, I'm going with these songs already, probably for the best because it's not happened very quickly yet. Now, did you mention the programs that you're using? Not yet. So I'm do- using a combination of Muse Score which is a free um, sheet music program, and then also GarageBand, which obviously comes free on every Mac, iPad, iPod, iPhone. So it's it's a very – they're two very basic programs, but what they allow me to do is you can put, you can put the sheet music into MuseScore, so you can um, create your own score. That's also where I do all my arranging of new vocal parts and such. And then you can – Export it as a MIDI file, which is uh, a basic music file that contains all the information about the music, like the notes and like any uh, dynamics or whatever you've put into it. And then you can put that into a music program like GarageBand and you can apply an instrument voice to it. And so you've got the basic notes and music and now you can make it sound like whatever you want. And so that's what I've been working with at the moment. Well, it sounds to me like if you're a singer and you have nobody to play the piano for you or you want some extra instruments that you can't play, it's very easy these days with technology to go on onto your computers, download the programs and to put it all together yourselves. Yeah. Yes, it's much easier now than it probably ever has been. So I think most people could manage this. So it's rather exciting, isn't it? The things that we can do just because of technology. Yeah. Right. Now, I was listening to one of your videos, watching one of your videos the other day. Do you remember recording Safe and Sound? Yes, I remember that one. That's the Hunger Games one? Yes. And you did that with Gemma Rose had a small part in that, didn't she? Yes, we added her in as an acting extra. <laughs> Not a singing extra. But she has been a singing extra. She has. We've done a couple of songs with Gemma Rose and also Sophie and Charlotte. So, Yeah, but in this one, she had the acting part. She played the younger sister, didn't she? <laughs> a role she was born to play. <laughs> Anyway, I hadn't watched that video for a long time and I went onto YouTube and had a look and oh my, the memories that came back. It feels like yesterday that we went out there on that cold, frosty morning as it always was when we were recording. It didn't matter if it was the middle of summer or the middle of winter, it was cold and frosty and I don't know why. (laughs) And we went down to the river and it was really misty that day because I was also watching the behind-the-scenes vlog that I recorded after we'd finished uh, filming. And everybody was complaining about how cold it was, <laughs> but how beautiful because there was a mist on the river, rising off the, of the river. And some of the photos that I posted on my blog to, to go with that video, because I posted all this on my blog recently, Uh, Show your hands looking really red. (laughs) And I thought to myself, did I not edit those photos properly? They look very red, but they were red, weren't they? They were. My hands usually were red or purple because I never had enough clothes on for that time of morning because it's very hard to make six layers look very good on camera. (laughs) Now you had to peel off all your coat and your scarf and all the extras before filming began. But what I sort of starting the story at the end 
I was thinking about play, Imogen, and I wrote a blog post about play. Well, actually, it started off as an Instagram post. And I was remembering those days years ago when you and the other girls and even the boys before you would disappear out into the garden and play the most fantastic games which would last all day. And I was thinking about the value of those um, days of play. Were they valuable? Uh, Does play become less valuable as you age? Because some people, parents, they are happy for their kids to play when their kids are very young. That's what little kids do, isn't it? Yeah. But as children get older, there's a bit of pressure for kids to do what looks like real work. Yeah, do you agree? Definitely a lot of pressure on them. (laughs) And kids still want to play, don't they? And should parents allow kids to play? So I wrote an Instagram post and then a blog post about this. And I didn't have any photos, Imogen, of you playing in those days. I have lots and lots of memories. And we're always talking about those fantastic days, aren't we? Yes, but I'm I'm too old for the digital camera. That's what I have decided. (laughs) Oh, well, we didn't get a digital camera until after Jim Rose was born. But even then... I didn't think to run outside and take all these photos of you playing Little House on the Prairie and pirate ships in the baby bath and (laughs) piling on top of their tricycle and hurtling down the hill and hitting the trees and tumbling out and making dandelion stews and fairy gardens and bows and arrows and all the other wonderful things that you did. Yeah, cubby houses. You had so many fantastic uh, games, didn't you? Oh, yes. And I, but I wasn't around poking my camera into your faces, recording it all. And most of me thinks that was probably just as well, because play is about kids doing things without the intervention of adults, isn't it? Yes, it's, just, it's time for them to do something for themselves, you know, think for themselves, do something that they, that doesn't have to be directed. They can be fully in control and fully enjoy themselves. Because I remember as a child playing, and I didn't want my parents around listening to what I was saying or uh, you know, I thought that I was worried about what they might think about my games. Do you, I don't suppose, did you ever think about that? But sometimes adults think that children's games are silly. Yeah, and I think, you're, I think that that's definitely something that we thought about. Not that, you know, we were ever judged for it or anything but there's always that thought that oh someone's around I'm going to be really quiet now because I don't want them to know what we're doing you know it's it's our game and that's quite all right kids are entitled to have their own games without parents or anybody else interfering and wanting to know what they're doing do you think yes I think so it can get a bit tricky if you're making homeschool records notes you know you've got to translate play into something that looks like schoolwork in inverted commas, yeah. uh, for registration purposes, because you don't want to be too nosy about the games the kids are playing. But I found that you were quite willing to tell me about your games because you got very excited about them. Oh, yeah. Ask us about it after the fact. We really want to tell you then, just not in the middle. <laughs> exactly. So, yes, I didn't have any, fo- I don't have any photos of those days. So I was. Um, putting together my blog post and I thought, well, look, what photos do I put with the post? I haven't got anything that's appropriate. And I just chose a random photo of you four girls sitting at a picnic table uh, after filming Safe and Sound. That's how I got onto the video. And I thought, this is a pretty photo. 
and you were having a magical time making that video. And though it wasn't really connected, I thought, yes, I'll put these photos together. So I've got the one of the picnic and also several photos I took during the shooting of the video. And then it occurred to me while I was watching the two videos, because I thought I better watch them and because I want to say something about them. <laughs> and it occurred to me that your creativity had its roots in your play, in those endless days of playing all your fantastic games. That's where your imaginations were stimulated, where you started to think critically, where you resolved problems. Uh, what else? What else do you do while you're playing? Um, sorts of things that we did while playing. It's all creativity, imagination, as you said, critical thinking, working with people, um, thinking about things logically, but thinking about things outside the box as well. You've, you become a very independent thinker when you're allowed to play a lot without any sort of supervision. You become storytellers, don't you? Yes. And all these aspects of play, I think there's heaps more, Imogen. I think kids play and we want to put our finger on the value that, that's coming out of that play as parents, we want to write down every single thing that our kids are gaining from their play as if to justify all those hours of play. But I think a lot of it, we can't do that. We don't see uh, all that's coming out of the games. Do you agree? Yeah, I don't think you realise how much comes out of the games until later on. Yes, I think that's right. But looking back, I can see that you are creative people and your creativity was spurred on by all that play, yeah? It's yes. One thing led to another. And this is what I was thinking when I was watching those videos. And I thought, well, these videos and the photos are appropriate to my blog post. <laughs> they're not pictures of you playing, but they're the consequence of you playing. Do you agree? Yes. So that blog post, doing what kids ought to do. So what should kids do, Imogen? Kids should be allowed to play. That's right. <laughs> and you can find that post on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, together with those two videos, the after-filming vlog and the video Safe and Sound. I was amazed, Imogen, uh, by what you and Sophie achieved. Your voice is beautiful. The filming was beautiful. Um, Sophie captured that light just magically, didn't she? She has a real talent for that. And it's not just you and Sophie and our family. I think it's all kids. Kids can do amazing things. Do you agree? Oh, yes. We sometimes put limits on what our kids can do or we think we didn't have the opportunity to do these things or we can't do these things, so our kids can't do them. And that's just not true. No, kids are usually much more capable than... I think their parents give them credit for and they're capable of doing so many more things and I think sometimes parents can hold them back it's like you can't do that you're you're too young you don't have enough experience you don't have enough skills you know I couldn't do this at your age so you can't do it and I think that when you do that you stifle what they really can do rather than letting them have a go maybe they're not good enough but maybe they are and you never know how much they'll learn by doing it 
you've got to start to learn to get better anyway, don't you? Exactly. And what is the point of doing something um, if you already know everything? If you, if you can't start until you know everything, what's the point of doing it at all? So if you look back through your music videos, we tried new things as they went on, didn't we? Oh, yes. If you look back to the first one, how do you feel about the first one we ever made? <laughs> Let's just say don't look back to the first one. Maybe give that one a miss. <laughs> well, it's exactly the same as me in podcasting, isn't it? I tell people don't go back to episode one because the sound quality was terrible. <laughs> and I am denied so many times. And yes, I'm not exactly proud of it, but I am proud that I started. Yes. And that I continued, even though I knew it wasn't perfect. I've it's still there. I'm brave enough to leave it there. And it was an example for you, wasn't it? That we don't have to be perfect to actually do something. And we learn on the go. And that's a really big lesson, isn't it? It is. But I, I really enjoyed your first video. I think your first video was much better than my first podcast. <laughs> and it's so crammed full of memories for me. And yeah, I just love it because it was the start of your music video adventure. Everything has to start somewhere, doesn't it? It does. Okay. There was something else I wanted to say about that. And it's just gone out of my mind because I started thinking about my podcasts. And I didn't really <laughs> want to think about those. So... Yeah, just maybe about doing amazing things that we have to give kids space. Yeah, the opportunity. Yes. And sometimes even the resources because you can't do anything if you don't have the right programs, don't have the right equipment, don't have the right help sometimes because you wouldn't have made all those music videos without our help, would you? Yes, there's no way I could have done that. And sometimes we can rally around as a family and be a team around someone's passion. Our passion wasn't singing, was it? No. But we all found a job to do that we all shared something of ourselves, some talent that we have to make your dream possible. Yeah? Yes. And that's what I really love about working together as a family, as a team. But next on my list, Imogen, I've got a scrawled note here saying adult play. Now, you're an adult, I'm an adult, we're still playing, aren't we? <laughs> we are. And I think that's very important to continue playing all your life. You don't just play as a young child and then get serious and start what's called schoolwork and then you don't graduate from schoolwork and go into work and life is rather boring. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you you have to continue playing, don't you? Yes, you've got to keep that sense of curiosity and wonder and imagination and ex be able to explore new things all the time. So what do you get out of playing as an adult? As an adult, when I'm playing, I'm usually playing around with a new idea or a new hobby or something and I mean it gives me a great sense of satisfaction for one thing but it also gives it also leads to sort of like new skills new interests um, sometimes it leads to something new that I can use in my work or my writing but even if I'm just getting out of it you know a bit of fun for a while that's that's usually enough. Yeah, play doesn't have to have a particular end, does it? We don't say well look I'm playing about with this but I've got to have something at the end of it uh, that's valuable. You just play. Yeah, you just do it for the sake of actually playing. And then if something comes out of it, that's a bonus. And usually it does, doesn't it? Yeah. But I also think as adults play, uh, doing things like I used to sew clothes for you and as children. Do you remember? Yes, I remember. And I can't really say that sewing is my passion. I used to make the clothes because 
I loved you because you used to get so excited when I would make a dress or a skirt. And do you remember that Christmas when I made Sophie a dress for Christmas? And I finished it, I think, on uh, Christmas Eve morning. And Jim Rose didn't have a new dress. And I suddenly said to her, would you like me to make a dress for you too? And she got so excited. We dashed down to the shops midday on Christmas Eve when I bought fabric, came home, and I whipped up this beautiful dress covered in a summer dress in fabric that was covered in pink roses. Oh, she just adored it. She wore it for three years. We just kept lengthening it (laughs) with frills around the bottom in different fabrics. And I sewed because of that reaction, because she loved what I produced. But I don't sew because it's my passion. So I wouldn't call that playing. No. No. (laughs) It was in a lot of ways work. So, yeah. So how have you been playing? Uh, You just told me that you've been messing around with a few things. Yes, playing around with that music and such. That's been my main source of play at the moment. So I'm going to go on now and tell people about my play. Is that okay? I think that's a very good idea. Well, I've been playing around with Instagram stories. Now, you might know that I'm back on Instagram. I think I've got over 100 um, uh, followers now, Imogen. I had a handful last time two weeks ago. Uh, this is quite amazing, but you know how Instagram followers disappear. You think, oh, you've got so many, and then you go back a little while later. And, and five of them have unfollowed you in the last five minutes. <laughs> it's, not, it's not very permanent. Exactly. So I try not to look. Uh, but my hundredth follower yesterday was a dear friend called San. And I thought that was rather appropriate. She found me again on Instagram and was my hundredth follower. So that's how I know that um, how many followers I've got. It just seemed like a big coincidence. Um, so I probably have about 90 by now. That was, that was yesterday. I didn't really put a lot of um, thought and value into number of followers. It's that aspect of Instagram that I don't like very much. I think sometimes you could get 2,000 followers, but Instagram doesn't put your posts in people's feeds. or So three, three people might see it. And it's... Exactly. Or um, people don't come and have a look. Or people look and they don't um, like. It's rather depressing, isn't it? Because Instagram works on an algorithm. And, and it all ends up being just one big game that you've got to try and play if you want to be Instagram successful. It's, it gets to be a bit much sometimes. You're right, it's a game. And I think introverts like us don't like those sort of games. I don't know if it's just an introvert thing, but you've got to be very visible. And I think that if I did Instagram live videos, I'd be much more successful. Do you agree with that? Yes, Instagram live videos has been one of the big things that they've always wanted people to do. So the more you do those, the more people can connect with it, then the more people are going to see your account, the more followers you'll get. But it's a big trade-off, isn't it? It is. And I've been thinking, should I do Instagram Live? And I think I already share so much of our family with people online, don't I? Yes. And the thought of sharing even more all the different uh, moments of our days, uh, letting people into every aspect of our lives, say, is just a bit overwhelming. Not that I don't mind sharing it, but having to do it consistently. Mm. It's It's like using Instagram stories, you know, in like 
a lot of the traditional way of using it, you know, which is like the quick, um, impermanent snapshot of life of your life or whatever's interesting you or just, you know, something quick out of everyday stuff rather than the polished photos that you would put on your regular grid. And it's the idea of having to go around and document your entire life and your entire day and say, I don't want to share that much. I don't really want to share whether I'm out having coffee again or, you know, if, if I just got up. So it's a bit overwhelming. It's a bit like when I was talking about putting, uh, taking photos of you playing when you were younger. If I had done that, I would have had a lot of photos to put on Instagram stories, wouldn't I? Yes. But I probably probably would have thought, oh, look, they're out playing a new game. Quick, where's the camera? Let's run out there and take a photo. Look this way, kids. Snap, snap. Run inside, put it on Instagram, write a caption. And I think I would have felt so burdened by that. So Instagram stories, yes, I'm playing around with it. And the way I'm coping with Instagram stories is trying to make something creative out of it and to learn something, to have fun playing. And I'm not sure that I'm going to be successful as far as the algorithm goes, but I've been looking at Instagram story templates. There's various apps you can um, buy. Um, Some of the templates are free. But that wasn't enough image, and I began to think as I was playing with them, can I replicate these templates in some way myself? Can I start from scratch and make my own templates, ones that are animated, ones that have uh, um, the, the, the words uh, move across, you know, the special effects, all that. Can I do that? How would I do it? So over the last week, I've been experimenting with various programs such as PowerPoint and Keynote. And I was successful, wasn't I? Yes, I've seen some of them. They've been really good. Well, I gave you one for your book where the photo comes down from the top and it lands at the bottom. With an enormous thud like a lead weight. And with all this smoke appears (laughs) and then uh, available, available on Amazon, the words, they appear with flames around them, don't they? They do. And those special effects I found on Keynote... So, yes, we can make our own uh, templates for Instagram stories, but I think that could be a lot of work. I could spend all day just doing Instagram stories, and there's a lot more to life than posting on Instagram, isn't there? Yes. So, But it's been fun playing, and I've posted some of those things. And the other thing that I've been playing around with since yesterday is word cloud apps, making uh, word clouds out of ver- a list of words. Now, how I came to do this was oh, a few months ago, I started making some graphics out of my unschooling books, the various sections, the love section, the respect section, connection, rules. And I took the main ideas out of those sections and put them into graphics, sort of like a visual reminder of the ideas in each of the sections of my books. I haven't done both books and I haven't done all sections, but I did a fair amount uh, of these graphics but they were time consuming too and yeah, the other day it was the night before last when I was supposed to be winding down and getting ready for bed and clearing my mind of all my ideas so I could sleep I said, suddenly had this idea about word clouds well it wasn't exactly my idea I was watching a, an education video and the presenter said that every year He takes all the educational articles in his field and he puts them through a program called Wordle and see to see which of the words are the most popular. He forms a word cloud and he said that the word teacher 
disappeared the last time that he had had done a wordle or a word cloud. I think actually the video was an old one from uh, 2015. But in that year, or maybe 2014, the word teacher had disappeared out of his word cloud, which rather surprised him. I guess it was the idea that teachers aren't playing such a prominent role in education as they used to. Maybe more people are homeschooling, maybe more kids are self-directing their learning. And I didn't watch any more of the video imaging because I got excited about the thought <laughs> of word clouds. And I turned the video off and I started a Google search and I found some apps and I started playing around thinking, what are the most popular words in my book, in my articles? And so that's what I did when I was supposed to be going to bed. And then yesterday I spent a long time uh, forming word clouds and then trying to find out whether I could actually have word phrases instead of just single words and oh, which arrangements could I have and what fonts and what colours and what shape. And, oh, I, I went deep onto that. Oh, so many rabbit holes. I did, and then I got um, a bit of a headache <laughs> because I spent so long doing doing and I kept telling myself this is the end no more today and I'd close up my iPad or my computer I'm going to do something else get a book I'm going to read and then another idea would come into my head and I'd go all the way back to the beginning again well anyway I did make some of these word clouds and I posted one yesterday on Instagram and I've got a whole heap in my photos album that are ready to share with people as well. So I had a lot of fun with that. The outcome wasn't that I was going to do it to share, but when I finished it, I thought, I could share this. <laughs> and, and also, it was another way of sharing the unschooling story, the unschooling message, a visual way, maybe an attractive way with all the colours and fonts. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Pe people like to look at pictures, and if it's got a good meaning to it as well, well I better. Re I reckon you could work... I reckon you could create some word clouds with your books. See what words um, are that come up. Or maybe there might be time for me to go down some rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. It's fun doing these things, isn't it? So that's what I've been playing around with. Now, we should move on, Imogen. Maybe we'll find another image to add at this point. It could be an image of the War of the Worlds. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, tell us about the War of the Worlds. So the story probably starts a little bit further back, but there's a channel on YouTube called The Shows Must Go On. And at the start of coronavirus uh, restrictions and such, when all the theatres closed down and you couldn't go and see musicals, this channel started posting uh, one Andrew Lloyd Webber musical every week to, um, to watch free for a certain period of time. And so we watched quite a few from there, which was really good. We watched some, some that we'd seen before, some that we hadn't seen. Um, so we watched Cats and Jesus Christ Superstar. Which was rather uh, <laughs> something that we'd heard about. <laughs> yeah, that generated a lot of conversation, didn't it? Yes. What uh, was that other one? The old one. Oh, I'm trying to remember now. Was oh, it Bertie? Yes. Um, it was based, I can't remember what it was called, but it was based on the P.G. Wodehouse books with um, Bertie Wooster and Jeeves. That was really funny, wasn't it? It was <laughs> unexpected uh, delight. Nobody expected they were going to really like it. And the amount of laughter coming out of the room was just enormous. You've never seen anyone laugh as hard. But 
after after a while, they stopped posting just Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, and they started posting other musicals. So we've seen we've seen a, a, a good few others. We saw The Sound of Music. We tried Fame and decided no. And this week we watched The War of the Worlds, which that was a very interesting um, experience. We've heard the musical audio uh, drama of it before. That's been rather a favourite. And I think this, this this stage version is very similar to that. But seeing it on stage is just something completely different. It was very clever, wasn't it? It was. It had a lot of uh, filmed shots on, on a big screen in the background so that you could have, you know, the whole sense of what was happening in the actual storyline at that point. You could have the aliens and their big tripod walkers. You could have these soldiers and all that and have this, these really effective film shots interspersed with the people actually on the stage. And then the fact that they also made a huge thing of the um, musicians in there because you had the this string orchestra, you had like a nine-piece uh, band up on stage because the musical side of, th- of things, like the actual, not the, just the songs, but the music was so important to it. And it was directed, what did you call it, conducted by Jeff Wayne, the composer. Yes. But I think his conducting was more like dancing. <laughs> he looked like he was having the best time up there. I don't know what anyone was getting out of his hand wiggles because his body was doing the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. The uh, other interesting part uh, feature of the production was the, uh, the holograms. Yes. Um, so a lot of the story of the War of the Worlds is told through a narrator, so a journalist. And for this particular performance, they had the journalist as Liam Neeson. But Liam Neeson is a very important person and he wasn't actually there. So, <laughs> so instead, they had film sections of him and you'd have some sections of him up on a screen on the wall and then the rest of it, if you had to interact with anyone, they had like a big glass screen and they projected a hologram of him onto the stage. So you have all these real actors and then a holographic Liam Neeson in the middle of the stage. Which was rather amazing, wasn't it? Because I hadn't realised at first that he wasn't there and I thought that he was a real person. And it was only when I was kept looking and I thought, he's a bit bright, he's not the same colour as the actors that were there. <laughs> But it worked very effectively, didn't it? Yeah, I have to admit, it took me much longer than it should have to figure out that he wasn't actually on stage. (laughs) (laughs) So what I really like about all these things, Imogen, is seeing somebody's concept come together, all the different ideas. How could we film this, or not film, well, they filmed it, but how could they present it on stage rather than do a film, a film version? Yeah. Yeah. How would they do the aliens, the Martians? How how would they get the sense of all those people that are panicking and rushing? When you've only got such limited space on your stage. Exactly. And, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And also the music. I mean, it's Dad and mine, my era, isn't it? Yes. So that uh, evokes some memories of all those years ago. It was old music, but not old as in old and forgotten, old and new, uh, new ways of using old music, because uh, they couldn't have done that years ago. No, they had a, they had enough trouble when they were first recording the actual music, um, because Jeff Wayne had so many ideas about what he wanted to put into it, and so many layers of music, and, so, and he needed so many tracks for it, and they were limited to 48 tracks of music. 
like into it, which laid into a single into a single piece, and somehow, and I don't know how they did this, but they squeezed over a hundred tracks into the space of forty eight, and I don't know how that works. So he was working under restrictions that you don't have to work under as far as music goes because technology has moved on. But he did amazing things with what he had. He did. He was very creative. And he thought he thought very much outside the box. So he was a trendsetter at the time, you know, on the cutting edge of discovering how to do things. Do you reckon? Yes. I also love the fact that when I looked up the music, listed among one of the genres for, for the kind of music was space disco which I just think that's the best sounding genre I've ever heard of. Now, we've originally got into The War of the World, well, through Dad and the Music, but Jim Rose and I read the book together oh, maybe at the beginning of the year, and it was one of those books that you know you've heard about is a classic book, but you've never read. Have you read it? No, that's one I haven't actually read yet. But Jim Rose and I read it together as a read aloud. And to say, I have to say we were disappointed. <laughs> we're very critical readers and just because somebody else said it was a classical didn't mean that we were saying oh this is a fantastic book we thought there was far too much description of London and all the we reckon there's a thousand different suburbs of London because you went through all of them we went through all of them that's right all these names of places this sounds very Victor Hugo he does exactly that in in France and maybe they get away with it because they're considered classic authors, but people wouldn't get away with that these days. Oh, no. The action also was very, very slow. And we started having this continuing joke. We'd open the book up each morning and we'd say, well, I guess nothing's going to happen today, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and whenever anything did happen, we nearly dropped off our seats because it was, yeah, very slow moving. And But we did wonder... The concept of the book, the theme of the book, was very interesting. Aliens arrive, Martians arrive from outer space, and they're so much more powerful than us. And it seemed like the humans were, oh, there was no way that they could fight these Martians and reclaim the Earth for themselves. And as we were reading the book, thinking, we've got to keep going, we've got to keep going, we want to find out what fantastic thing the humans did to defeat the Martians. Well, if you haven't read the book, it's probably going to be a spoiler, but the human beings didn't do anything. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't come up with a fantastic plan. They didn't use their superior brains because maybe they weren't superior. You mean those Martians. Anyway, the Martians were beaten by bacteria. That's all that happened. <laughs> and Jim Rose and I just, we just couldn't believe it. We just said, this is not right. He could have written a better story. <laughs> this is, oh, you, you know, you're disappointed in some uh, aspect of a book. You get read all the way down to the end of the book and then it's not resolved in a satisfying way. You think the, um, the author didn't have any imagination. He couldn't come up with a way that the humans could beat the Martians under, fair, under a fair go. He had to use bacteria. And if the Martians had only taken their vaccinations before they left Mars, none of this would have happened. <laughs> I don't think they'll survive with um, coronavirus, would they? <laughs> Out in a day. But anyway, so we, we put the closed book and we said, that was a really rotten book. We spent all that time reading it. But it sort of stuck in my mind and I couldn't leave it. I had to go Googling. And I ended up reading some study guides about it. 
And it seems we missed the point entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I can't even remember all the details, but uh, because the Martians were beaten by bacteria was very significant. And I'm going to leave everybody to go and work that out for themselves. Go and have a look at some study guides. But once I'd read the study guide, I could see what um, the author, H.G. Wells, had done. It was That was the, the, the whole point of it, <laughs> which I'd missed entirely. So sometimes, imagine Googling things after you've read them and even looking at study guides, which people tend to turn their noses up because it sounds too much like structured learning at school, that type of thing. I find if you use them in an unschooly way, they're really, really interesting. Do you think? Oh, yes. You might not agree with all the things that somebody has said about a book, but it gets your mind thinking about it and... We do miss things and we do get deeper levels of understanding of books and it's enjoyable sometimes to find out more about books and where the ideas came from and what the author had in mind and other people's interpretation of them, even if you don't agree with them. But it sort of extends the pleasure of a book by going and doing some research. Would you agree? Oh, yes. And the more you can know about a book that sort of intrigued you, the better. So I've got something to share about uh, just a novel that I've been reading. I did that. I did some Googling about it. But before that, I just want to mention that Jim Rose and I got into a space uh, phase. (laughs) And I think that's part of unschooling, isn't it? You sort of get um, like a passion for something and you want to know You want to watch all the movies of this genre. You You want want to read all the books. You want to know everything, just all at once. And so you sort of immerse yourself in that for, you know, a good three or four weeks. And by the end of it, you're like, okay, I think I know enough now. I'm probably good. Yeah, you're satisfied. Let's do something else. Exactly. And so we watched a few War of the World uh, movies, some older ones. What was that other one? Um, Steven Spielberg? Is that, is oh, what, with Tom Cruise in it? Yeah, we didn't like that one. <laughs> they changed the story quite a lot. And as you watch different versions, movie versions or theatre versions of books, you can see how some people have taken the base, basic plot or the basic idea and they've used it as a springboard for their own ideas. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yes, and sometimes it does work very mm. well. I don't think that a production, a film or a theatre production has to be faithful to a book. It, uh, it's like the creative process. You take somebody's ideas and you, you run with it. You add in your own and you make something that is your own and uh, very quite sometimes quite different. Yes. And we did this with Jekyll and Hyde. We watched a lot, a lot of um, movie versions and stage versions of uh, that book. After we read the book, we went on a rabbit trail to see what everybody else had done. And, yeah, it was very interesting to see other people's interpretations and what they'd done with the ideas. Um, But, yes, after a while, we'd had enough of War of the World and we went on to The Martian. Yes, highly recommend the book and the movie of that. It's so good. And then we got on to reality and we went, well, I suppose uh, there were some... uh, some facts that weren't right, but Apollo 13, yes, the mm. movie that was based on uh, a real situation. I know that it wasn't entirely accurate, but it was reality. We know that uh, this actually happened in some way, you know, that rescue from outer space up there on the moon. Yeah. So that was interesting. And um, what else? Oh, there was a documentary, a fictional documentary, Odyssey, uh, Voyage to the Planets, I think it's called, but it has a different name. 
in the US to the rest of the world. And I can't remember if, which uh, country that name belongs to. But they filmed an imaginary journey. These uh, astronauts went off across the universe, visiting all the planets, and they landed at them. And uh, it was as if it was happening, but it was fiction. And they landed on Mars and had had adventures. And Mars looked how they thought Mars should look because nobody's actually landed there. But I mean, they have they do have photos and things, of course. It probably didn't have red weeds like in War of the Worlds. <laughs> no. It didn't. <laughs> didn't have any Martians either. Oh, come on. Not even the Martian. <laughs> so that was interesting. We enjoyed that as well. But yes, after a while, we'd had our fill of space and we moved on. But I think that's unschooling, uh, very common with unschooling. You have a phase of this or a phase of that, a Shakespeare phase, a Jane Austen phase, um, a poetry phase, a science phase, whatever. And we just run with it, and we might not do much else for a while. A writing phase next November, if we all had everybody at home, everybody would be writing during November and not doing much else. Do you agree? Yes. (laughs) And sometimes this can be worrying for parents because you think, we're so used to the idea that you do a bit of maths, a bit of science, a bit of English every week, a bit of creative arts, got to go out and do a bit of exercise, all that. And that's how school runs, but it's not how unschooling works a lot of the time, is it? No. And with homeschooling record keeping, this can be worrying as well because you end up with all these English notes and nothing else. And you think, well, what am I going to write for maths or science? But I have found that over a period, longer period of time, everything evens out. So you have a maths phase one time or an English phase, a science phase. And at the end of the year, you've got enough notes for everything. So that's not... That hasn't been. That wasn't a problem for us. I have to get used to saying "wasn't," Imogen, because I'm sitting here by myself unschooling these <laughs> days. I can't say, "Look, um, this is what the girls were doing this week." Even though you're unschooling still, because unschooling never stops, does it? <laughs> we're going to be learning for the rest of our lives. But I no longer have to record anything. Nobody's looking over my shoulder saying. Um, are your children doing what they're supposed to be doing? <laughs> I'm just sitting here by myself playing around with Instagram stories and word clouds and going off on Google searches of my own. But you're all still learning as well, aren't you? Oh, yes, all the time. Everybody sits there and Googles and says, hey, do you know? Have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? But yes, we can have a long episode today, Emma Jam. Well, same as last time, so I suppose people should just get used to that. We we go down a lot of rabbit trails. We do, but uh, we're only planning to make a video. Uh, a video. <laughs> Uh, I hope it's not a video, not in here. I'm <laughs> sitting here in a, with all my clothes. It's not very, um, yeah, it doesn't look very good, does it? So it's not a video, it's a podcast, and we can sit here in our pajamas and talk if we want, except you're not, you're ready for work because you're going to work <laughs> later. So we mustn't talk too long because we've squeezed this in before you're going to work. So there's a few things about space, a few resources there people can follow up. I sort of cut myself short there. I don't know what I was going to talk about, but it probably wasn't important. You were going to say that we're only going to make these podcasts every couple of weeks or so. So you've got a couple of weeks to catch up on this incredibly long episode. That's right. Watch it in two halves, one this week, one next week, and we'll be back the following week. Is that right? Yes. But you were going to tell us about some real life stuff that got into a book you were reading. All right. We'll do that next. 
Last week, I was telling you how Imogen was buying me books and she'd bought me several Kate Morton novels. And I finished one the other night, The Clockmaker's Daughter. And I've come to the conclusion that Kate Morton likes old houses, especially old British houses, because this one featured Birchwood Manor, an old house. And the interesting fact about this house in her book was that it had two priest holes, which sort of got my imagination going. And some of the characters are artists. They go to this house uh, and spend, I don't know, a month over summer there. And they explore their creativity, they paint, they take photos, whatever. And something happens while they're there. I won't go into all the story because I'll spoil it. But I was thinking about old British houses and priest tiles. And I remembered that when I was a teenager, my parents had taken us to all these old houses in England. And we'd seen a house. Well, it was more than a house. It was a hall. It was called a hall. Speak Hall. A manor house, maybe that had a priest hall, and I remember looking into it. And at the time, I didn't know much about priest halls. I wasn't a Catholic. It didn't really mean much to me, but I, it was a hidey hall, and it had, you know, that just gives you, you hear about people hiding somewhere from something. I didn't understand all the issues, but it was intriguing. And I also remember going into that uh, place, there were a few ghost stories, now, in The Clockmaker's Daughter, there is a, a ghost story that goes from the beginning to the end of the book. And at Speak Hall, the real place, I remember being told this story about, from the guide who was taking us around, about uh, the one of the owners of the house, it was the owner's wife. The owner had gambled away all their money. And... I had this idea in my mind that she had thrown herself out the window with her baby to escape a life of ruin. They had been ruined by yeah all these gambling debts and she, she, she couldn't live any longer so she'd thrown herself out of the window. And so all, all those years I've been thinking about Speak Hall as the place where the lady threw herself out of the window with the baby. So I did some Googling after reading The Clockmaker's Daughter, and it seems that this is a rather confused ghost story because the baby did actually grow up, so he couldn't have drowned in the moat. I don't know about the, uh, the, the mother, but there was there is a ghost story, and it's confused, and maybe it's got something to do with one of the servant girls who fell pregnant and then got um, ejected from Speak Hall, and she ended up drowning herself. But anyway, the best old houses have ghost stories. And so I, then I did a bit of Googling about Kate Morton and the ideas behind her books. And she said, yes, she has an obsession with old houses. And she'd uh, researched a few and they had ghost stories. And also they were gathering places for artists. And her artist in the book is called Edward Ratcliffe. But... Real artists visited places like Speak Hall. I discovered that the artist Whistler and Rossetti, was he an artist? I was, uh, Christina Rossetti's a poet, but um, there must be an artist, Rossetti. Yes, he was, um, I think he was famous for doing clothing and like uh, the folds on clothes and such and making it look really realistic and like the shine on a fabric. That's what I remember him for. Was he Christina Rossetti's brother? I don't know. More Googling. <laughs> but New in, rabbit trails. But anyway, they used to gather at Speak Hall. So maybe that's where she got her ideas from for the clockmaker's daughter. 
so that's a little bit of research I did after reading a novel. So novels can send you on rabbit trails as well. Now, Imogen, we just got one more thing that on my list, do we want to talk about exercise? Because that was a reporting back thing from last week. Yes. Well, last week I was telling everybody that I'd started Leslie Sanson's uh, Work at Home program. I subscribed to an app which allows me to have access to every workout video that she's ever made, which is fantastic. Now, I'm in my sixth week of this program and I haven't yet repeated a video. Well, I say that I've repeated... Uh, one that uses bands, a, a strength training workout, which I really, really enjoyed. And she ha- and I've repeated that one. But all the others I've only ever done once. There's such a big variety of them. And I was saying last week that they're described as walk at home, but they're not really walking, are they? No, not really. <laughs> you can't get sweatier and tireder <laughs> doing these workouts than I do going for a run. I mean, my legs come back, I come back with my legs a little bit tired thinking, I don't want to run any further. But doing these workouts, oh, I've just, all my muscles are warm. I wouldn't say they all ache all the time. I'm getting quite good. Well, I say getting getting used to them, put it that way. (laughs) But yes, talk about getting up a sweat. And I'm getting stronger, showing some progress. So I'm really enjoying those and I'm still doing it week six. Are you doing them still? Yes, I am. Now, what I wanted to say was that sometimes it can seem that exercise is just too much trouble. We can find loads and loads of excuses not to do it, can't we? Yeah. Now, a few months ago, the excuse that I used for not exercising was the weather. It's too cold to go out and run. And then I got a little bit down about the whole world situation at the time and just couldn't be bothered. I couldn't find the energy to go and exercise most days. Just, oh, I'm so depressed. And I knew that exercising would lift my spirits. But you know, when you get into that cycle that you feel so down, you think it's just too much effort to actually start. Yes. Once you start, you'll be okay. But you can't do push yourself to get going. Well, well I got going. But what I was say that exercise has to be achievable, has to be, um, I wouldn't say easy because this is challenging, but the whole process of getting started has to be easy, doesn't it? If you've got to uh, have elaborate equipment, if you've got to go somewhere and it's raining, you can find a million excuses why you, you can't do it. Yes, you've got to make the process of starting as simple as you possibly can. So I've been do- using my iPad and wireless headphones because sometimes you say, well, I can't do a video workout because the best time for me to work out is first thing in the morning, which is when I like to work out, but everybody else is in bed still and they'll make a lot of noise and nobody will like that. But I've found out that you can exercise using wireless headphones and nobody knows what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah. So you've been up at 5.30 in the morning doing the same thing, haven't you? Yes, I have. And I have no idea that you're out of bed doing this sweaty workout (laughs) because I can't hear anything. And that's what I've been doing. So wireless headphones are good. But I think what would be even better, Imogen, is some of those earbuds, the, um, the wireless ones. Yes. But they're expensive, maybe in the future. But can I just tell one story to finish off? Yes, you may. Just one. This is my motel exercising story. Now, the second week, I think it was, of of starting exercise, 
Uh, as you might remember, Dad and I went away. We travelled up to see Sophie and Callum, didn't we? Yes. And we stayed in a motel for four nights. And I'd only just started this exercise program and I was really reluctant not to do it because I thought you just start something new and you're all enthusiastic and you've got to continue doing it. Otherwise, you're going to lose your momentum. And I thought, how am I going to do it up in a motel? Well, I thought, well, it's not that difficult. I can take my iPad. I can download some of the videos directly onto my iPad. I don't even need an internet connection. And I take my wireless headphones and nobody will know what I'm doing in my motel room. So on the first morning, we got up and Dad had arranged to go to the gym with Sophie. She said, oh, Dad, you're here. Come to the gym with me. So he disappeared out the door at eight o'clock. And I said, well, I'll stay here and I'll do my work at home workout. So that's what I did. I set up my iPad, put my headphones, well, before I put my headphones on, I suddenly realized that the motel room floor was noisy. And that if I started jumping up and down and doing all the actions, maybe I'd be making a lot of noise. Maybe someone would knock on the door and say, (laughs) hey, what are you doing in there? You're disturbing everybody. (laughs) And I thought, well, I'm going to do it anyway. It's eight o'clock in the morning. Probably everybody's getting up ready to go. And there's not a lot of people here anyway, because it was a Tuesday morning. And people aren't traveling as far at the moment or going places, are they, because of the uh, pandemic restrictions, though the, the motel did fill up towards the end of the week. So I did this workout, Imogen, and I had the headphones on, so I couldn't hear my feet anyway, I could only hear the music. And I did it, and I thought, wow, that was really good. I enjoyed that. I'm glad I did it. And I looked at my phone before heading in the shower, and Dad had said, Stopping for coffee at Sophie's. Be back soon. And I thought, okay, I've got time to get in the shower. And actually, the, his message had already been on my phone for a few minutes. I thought, well, he'll probably come back soon. So I went headed into the shower. I was in the shower, got clean, obviously, stepped out. And just as I stepped out, there was this big banging noise. You know, someone was at the door. And I thought, oh, well, look, Dad's back. He can't be bothered to get his key. Maybe he left it behind. And I thought, well, there's nothing much I can do about it. I haven't got anything on. I'm still wet. <laughs> I'm wrapped in a towel. And, you know, he'll have to wait or find his key. So I continued getting dry. And then I heard the door open. And I thought, well, he must have found his key. You know, he looked in his pocket. He found the keys, let himself in. So I, I opened the door slightly, thinking, and I'm shouting out, I'm here, I'm in here, I'm in the bathroom. I opened the door, and there was this strange man standing right outside the bathroom door. And I obviously sh- slammed the door of the bathroom <laughs> shut and repeated, I'm in here. And I thought, who is he? And then he called out over his shoulder, there's somebody in the bathroom. And later on, I put it all together. He was talking to the cleaner. He was the um, motel manager. I don't know what he was doing in the room, but he was telling the cleaner that there was somebody in the bathroom. And she retreated really fast. And he disappeared out, locked the door and closed it. And I later on discovered that he thought that we were gone that we'd gone out for the day because the car was missing there was no car at the front of the motel because dad had it because he'd gone to the gym and anyway dad came back and he just got there as they'd locked the door and um the motel manager said uh i can let you in if you like i've got a key (laughs) your wife's in the bathroom (laughs) and dad thought How does he know that I'm in the bathroom? (laughs) 
Anyway, it was all a rather embarrassing episode, and I thought making the noise, jumping up and down doing my exercise, was the least of my problems. <laughs> Preventing people coming through the locked door was a bigger one. Maybe you should have made more noise. <laughs> Maybe I should have done. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't making enough. He didn't know I was in there. Anyway, I had to go and see him um, once I'd dressed and we'd, we were going out for the day. We decided that we were going to stay an extra night. So I wanted to go up to the office and ask him if he had if we could stay there an extra night. And I thought, well, what do I do when I get there? And I'm the lady in the bathroom that didn't have, you know, who wasn't dressed. I did have a towel, but, you know, it was an embarrassing situation. And what will he say? And what will I say? And I thought, look, I'm just going to go up there and pretend nothing happened. So I walked through the door. I said, good morning. And he said, good morning. And we ignored the whole thing. And uh, yes, the next day I said to dad, well, how do I prevent somebody coming through? He says, you should put the, cha- the, the chain on the door, you know, that, that lock. Yeah, the security chain. And I thought, I didn't think that I had to do that at that hour of the morning. <laughs> so that was my motel story. I don't know what it illustrates, Imogen. It illustrates that you can do exercise while you're traveling. You don't have, just because you're away from home doesn't mean that you can't get your exercise in. But just remember, put the chain on the door. <laughs> in case the cleaner wants to come in. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes, to make sure that nobody disturbs you in the shower. I'd like to say that when we were planning this podcast, Mum asked, do you think do you think it'd be all right if I told my holiday exercise story? And I looked at her and I went, what holiday what? exercise story? And she goes, oh, you know, the one where the guy comes in while I'm in the bathroom. And I looked at her and went, what? when did the guy come in when you're in the bathroom? I don't know this story. Well, you, so, I didn't know the story until now. I told that story a number of times when I came home, so you mustn't have been around at the, at the appropriate time. But I thought, you know, a mother in the bathroom without all her clothes on, and there was a strange man in the motel room. Perhaps that oh, it's a bit risque. <laughs> it's not the sort of story you want to tell on a family podcast, but it was so funny. And it did, it did illustrate a story. So if you're traveling, take your iPad with you, do your workout in your motel, but just be careful of people coming through the door. Right, Imogen, we're coming to the end of our podcast, which is just as well because it's going to be the same length as last week. But nobody complained. Yes, yeah, so I hope you've all enjoyed it because it looks like they're all going to be this length. We don't know when to stop talking. But I am going to divide it into chapters that will make it very easy just to listen to a chapter at a time. Now, I've just got a couple of um, end questions here, Imogen, that I would like to put to people. We've run out of TV series to watch, haven't we? We've had enough of MasterChef for now, and we've watched all the Masked Singer. Oh, well, there's a few that are coming weekly, but we've, uh, we've stopped. We haven't got enough supply to binge watch anymore. What do we watch in the evenings together? So we want some new TV series suggestions, don't we? Yes. We can't watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. That's just, no, it's just unthinkable. We don't know what to watch. So if anybody has been watching any good TV series, please let us know. We want something to get our teeth into, something we can binge watch, something that can capture our imagination, something that will entertain us. Yeah. Yes, we can sit down as a family for an hour or so and just have enjoy fun. ourselves. Have fun. Because as we were saying last week, even fun stuff leads to good thoughts and conversation, doesn't it? it we've does. had some great conversations about the things that we've been watching recently, but we're all out of ideas. And the other thing that we want is questions for Imogen. I thought that we could 
feature a question or two each podcast, a listener question. Uh, you'd be happy to answer questions, wouldn't you? Yeah, you've just got to leave some for me. <laughs> and also, they've got to be appropriate questions, that, something that you have experience with. Yes, I've, I'm, I'm 25, so I, I've got some good experiences, but I'm not experienced in everything, so keep that in mind. <laughs> but yes, yeah, you're all unschooler, you've been through everything, you've done university, you have um, uh, done creative things of your own, you've become a musician, you're a writer, you've got lots of valuable um, experience that you could share. And I'm highly opinionated, so that helps as well. Okay. Now, I did ask for some questions on Instagram stories, Imogen, but nobody left any, and I think that's because I'm not very good at Instagram stories. Well, you better up your Instagram story game so we get some questions. <laughs> I have to uh, work out how to phrase it so people can't but help uh, adding a message to the story. You know, they've just got their finger in there, so they just can't help themselves. They've got to respond to my story because we would like some questions because I think that would be really interesting to have some input from other people mm. instead of us just talking about what we're interested in. But they've got to be specific questions. Don't I just think it would be really hard if they use people say, can you talk about maths? That's a such a broad subject. But what exactly do you want us to, to talk to, to you about maths? If you say, uh, did you need to know how to write an essay before you went to university? Or uh, did you ever do a maths course? That sort of thing. A more specific question, yeah? Yes. That would be absolutely wonderful. Well, if anybody who's listening to the podcast now wants to go to your Instagram and leave a comment, where are they going to find you? At stories of an unschooling family. Stories, what's that dash called? Lower dash? Uh, underscore. Underscore. Underscore? Underscore. See, I don't know all these things. <laughs> Stories underscore of an underscore unschooling family. <laughs> I think that takes up all the characters I'm allowed. Right, where will they find you, Imogen? You can find me on Instagram at write, rewrite, read. Is that dots in between? Yes, it should be write, dot, rewrite, dot, read. And the, the name on there is Imogen Elvis. And if you go to Imogen's stories, I'm hoping that she'll have lots and lots of new graphics that I made for her. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's sitting waiting eagerly to see the next one go up. So. I spent a whole afternoon last week making um, some graphics of Imogen's books for her, for her Instagram stories. Some of them are rather clever, aren't they, with animations and things. I'm waiting for the Imogen to have time to go to Instagram to post them. I keep saying, if you put some of my graphics up yet, can I go and have a look at them? The problems of having a job. <laughs> now well, need to go there as well. Instead of me who has to do the housework and all the <laughs> other fairing around type things, but still gets a, a, several hours in the afternoon to work on my own stuff. So. Yes, mum's rather the superwoman. No, no. <laughs> Not that good. <laughs> no, uh, it's amazing how many... Th I don't have a working job outside the home, but it's amazing how much work there is each day to maintain a family. Yes. <laughs> Even though we don't have any little people anymore. Oh, just sometimes it's just a bit overwhelming, all the odds and ends that you end up doing. Even down to spending three quarters of an hour every day walking the dogs. You know, you've got to slot everything in. And then finally I get to sink onto my sofa, open my computer and think, what am I going to do today? And get some work done. But anyway, what else? Also, you can find me on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family, and your blog. My blog, Write, Rewrite, Read. But it's at the URL, ImogenElvis.com, isn't it? Yes. 
And anything else? Your books are on Amazon, your three books. Do you want to tell everybody the names? So my three books are The Crystal Tree and The Shattering Song, which are a young adult fantasy duology. And my newest book, a young adult sci-fi called Frost Hands. And I've got a few books on him. Uh, Amazon as well. The two unschooling ones are Curious Unschoolers and Radical Unschool Love. And all our books are available as ebooks and print books, aren't they? And I print ha- books look really good. Yes, I highly recommend them if they're just so beautiful. <laughs> Thanks to Charlotte. So, is that everything, Emma Jan? think that's all we had in our notes for today so I hope people are going to leave us some comments on Instagram so that we've got something to answer for next time. Yes please do that please give us some feedback. Feedback encourages people to keep on doing stuff doesn't it? It does. Encourages us to sit down in my closet my walk-in robe another time. So thank you so much Imogen for making time before you go to work today to talk to me about all those interesting things. I've really enjoyed our conversation. We always have a good time. Until next time then, do you remember, uh, you've you've forgotten what... I have forgotten, it's been two weeks. (laughs) Okay, I will finish up the episode. I hope, Thank. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode, episode 180. 180, Imogen, that's a round number. We're getting close to 200. Yes, if I do 181, I've got to keep going now to get to another round number. I can't stop... On an odd number. Quick, give us some encouragement and some comments so that we keep going to 181. Okay. So I hope everybody has a wonderful unschooling week and live a radical life of unconditional love.